0: Hello and welcome to Football Scotland Daily, the podcast that brings you all the big news, analysis and debate Monday to Friday, just in time for your daily commute. I'm Gaby Mackay and joining me today is the man with more hot takes than the director's cut of Basic Instinct, Old Firm Facts himself, Mr Adam Miller. How you doing? On the pod today, we'll be st- discussing Stevie Clark at Hampden Park, Dundee approaching Robo for a jobbo, as well as whether GMS is going to MLS and the other transfer rumours of the day. So there's only one place to start, I think, today, Adam, and that's with Steve Clark being as unveiled as Scotland manager. What did you think of his press conference today, and what do you think of uh, the appointment in general?
1: I think, as ever, Steve Clark spoke quite well. Um, it's almost surreal finding ourselves in this position where there's a, like an air of optimism around the national team. Uh, to you know, over the last few years, I think the two most chilling words in Scottish football have been international break. I don't think I don't think anyone has ever looked forward to the international break before, uh, not or certainly in the last few years, with any great optimism. Um, the only time I can really remember over the last couple of years, any sort of real excitement around the national team was around the time of the draw with England, um, and also and that
0: quickly turned to crushing disappointment yeah, within literally minutes.
1: It was a quintessential Scottish national team. We had about three minutes of absolute ecstasy. And then we were reminded that we were the Scottish. Yeah, it was arguably team.
0: the most Scotland thing that has ever happened.
1: Yeah, it was peak Scotlanding. But we, since that point, it's you know there's not really been much excitement around it. Steve Clark has, at the very least, given us something to look forward to. Um, it's the first appointment in years that has been pretty much universally applauded. I think Strachan that appointment was tolerated and seen as possibly a positive. McLeish, the less said about the better. This, I think everyone can unite and say, you know, we're behind this.
0: Yeah, I think that's true. I think it's a sort of strange sense... um I was at the announcement today and it's sort of strange being in a room where a load of people are there with the chilling knowledge that the SFA have possibly done something right.
1: Well, I think the real concern now is what they're holding back from us now that they've done this. This is almost like the sweetener, like we're giving you this, but wait until you hear about what we're doing next. So this might be... Yeah, this
0: misdirection. It's like the magic trick. There's something going on behind the curtain.
1: Yeah, this might be the precursor to saying we're actually putting Celtic and Rangers Colt teams in the Premiership next season.
0: (laughs) So... Steve Clark's going to name his first squad next week. He spoke today. Um, he was very clear that the door's open to anyone, but he also did make a point of saying that he won't go chasing anyone. Do you think that that's uh, an important thing to have with the national team now, given how many call-offs we saw in the latter days of the Alec McLeish train?
1: I think traditionally players tend to put club over country and you can't necessarily blame, that, blame them for that because the clubs are the ones that pay their wages. And they have that affinity because they're playing for those supporters week in, week out. They have, I think over the last few years, playing for the national team for certain people will have been seen as an obligation as opposed to uh, something to be proud about, something to look forward to. I think one of the biggest challenges that Clark faces is turning it into something that people are desperate to be involved in. And I think that's one of the big factors behind his appointment is that very few people, you'd struggle to find anyone who's played for Clark at Kilmarnock, certainly, who would say, Yeah, I had an issue with him, or, you know, I didn't want to play for him. I think you could see from the performances at Rugby Park this season, these are guys who want to play for that manager. He has the respect. Uh, I think he's appreciated in terms of his man management. I think people want to. Impress Steve Clark. They want to win his favour. Uh, they want success so that they can share that success with him. I think if he can get that level of respect with the Scotland players, which I believe he will, um, I think people will be, you'll see less call-offs because people will be more enthusiastic about playing for the squad.
0: Yeah, it's been very clear. Um, I think Gary Dicker was in the media today saying that, you know, as soon as Clark walked into Sco- uh, Kilmarnock, sorry, that he'd really got all the players on side. And I think that's obviously something he's going to have to try and do right away with Scotland. He said today that he'd spoken to Andy Robertson and he was really impressed with his attitude. And I thought what was interesting as well, I don't know if you could get your thoughts on this, that he spoke about his own career and the fact he only got six Scotland caps, which when you consider he played 421 times for Chelsea, I think yeah. he was voted as the greatest ever right back for him only to get six caps so I think there was a real regret I think he actually said that it hurts so do you think maybe he's a manager who can transfer to the players just what it means to play for your country because there may be some who take it for granted because a lot of people would say they dish out caps like sweeties these days and they maybe he's he's the player having been there and well not done it rather that he's the man to really impress on the players, just how much it means to play for your country.
1: Yeah, I think he can probably speak from better experience because I'm surprised to hear that, that Steve Clark only won six caps for Scotland because I assumed he'd played more than that. Um, Obviously, he was a player of really good ability and he can use that as almost a cautionary tale for players and say, look, I was turning out regularly for a big team in a top league and I only ever won six caps, so you need to you can't take this for granted just because you're in this squad, that's no guarantee that you're gonna be selected for the next one. I think Clark is the kind of guy that won't tolerate players slacking off. He won't tolerate complacency. I think uh, you'll get players who want to give that kind of extra yard, go that without spouting loads of cliches, go that extra mile, you know, and uh, impress him not just with the performances but on the training pitch as well. Um, So yeah, you'll see less call-offs and you'll also see guys who are desperate to just keep adding to their caps.
0: I also thought what was really striking is when he was speaking in the press conference, it almost seemed like he felt he had sort of a moral duty to take the job. He said, how can anyone turn down your country? And... He's been very open in the past about how he wants to go back to England. He feels he hasn't finished business there. He misses his family. But what he said in the thing is that he would basically he'd resolved to leave Comarnock, He said for personal reasons, he was planning to go back to England, maybe take a job in the summer, maybe wait around to see if a job comes up. And then when he got the call from Scotland, he said, well, you can't turn down your country, you have to go. So it's it's almost as if he's sending that message of to those players, If you're maybe carrying a slight knock, you don't want to play for Scotland, you know, that that would to me be the managerial equivalent of, you know, going to Azerbaijan or Kazakhstan for a qualifier, you know, when he obviously misses his family and wants to go back down south and feels that that is where his future lies, but he feels that he has to really uh, step up and turn out for
1: Scotland. I think Clark had to take the job because although he'll gutted to not be managing Kilmarnock in Europa League next season I think you'll really miss out on you know having taken them there I think you would have liked to have seen that through I also can completely understand why he took the job at this point because realistically in terms of league places Kilmarnock don't have the finances to break into that top two now yeah, absolutely. Now that Rangers have improved um, and Celtic are always going to be favourites for the title so first and second unless something very strange happens, is going to be sewn up every year from here till the end of time by Celtic and Rangers. Taking Kilmarnock to third, he's not going to get them higher than that, realistically. Um, so his stock is never going to be higher in terms of club management than it, or, uh, with Kilmarnock, certainly, than it is at the moment. So if Scotland, if he feels this sense of duty, if he feels like it's a calling, then he runs the risk by staying at Rugby Park another season he might have loads of injuries next season with Komarnik. There might be... you uh, might not have the finances to replace players who leave or are injured. And suddenly Komarnik finish fifth or sixth next season without Clark drastically altering his style just through various circumstances. And then...
0: And the sort of natural financial gravity of being Komarnik and, uh, uh, you know, punching above your
1: weight. Yeah, and so next season, this time next year, if Scotland were looking for a manager again that opportunity might not come up for him. So from that point, I completely understand him taking it. Also, I think what you were mentioning in terms of his family, I think that's got to be a big pull. Although he'll still be based in Scotland, I would imagine, it's not a a 365-day-a-year role. Although most of the time, he, he will be working most days, it's not something where he needs to be on a training ground every single day when there's not a game. He can and visit lots of games and all that kind of thing but there's only a handful of games a year so he's going to get a lot more time with his family I think that has to be a big factor for him Um, and yeah just in terms of this job being his calling I absolutely understand him taking it just now
0: And when you say that he doesn't have to be on the training ground every day do you think that could end up being a a negative I mean we know a lot of what Clark did at Kelly was work on the training ground. He did what he did at Kilmarnock with basically the same squad he inherited from Lee McCulloch. So do you think that the fact he won't be on the training ground every day, might, while it might be good for him, From a family point of view, a lot of the players play in England anyway, so he can go down and see his family. But do you think, from a purely Scotland point of view, that that might not be getting the best out of Clark and the skill set he brings?
1: Possibly. Uh, I think it's very rushed, the way that the international break works. You've only got a few days with those players. I mean, you can spend all the time you want uh, while club football's going on, going and watching matches and going home and thinking about how you're going to implement a system. But if you're a club manager, you've got the whole of pre-season and then five days a week on the training ground to say, well, this is the system that we're working. Um, this is what I'm wanting from you guys. It's also the You also get a far greater opportunity to assess the fitness levels, the desire, and the ability of those guys on the training pitch, rather than being sort of thrown in to four or five days of training with the national team before a game, and then maybe another one or two sessions before the next game. Um, so it'll be a different test for Clark, and I think you're right that there is... A danger one of the big things that Clark brings is a uh, presence on the training ground. I think that's not going to be something uh, that he'll be able to bring to the same degree in this job. I, th- I think Clark is definitely capable of doing uh, of working well in that smaller time frame with the guys, but um, I, I do think that uh, that was certainly an asset he had in club football that he won't, he won't necessarily have the opportunity to replicate. With the international team.
0: And we've seen a lot of talk in the newspapers today, a lot of the back pages saying that some of the players who haven't been in previous squads could be coming back. So players like James MacArthur, Barry Bannon, Stephen Fletcher, Matt Ritchie. So the question is You know, these are guys who, some of them who have retired and Clark, as we discussed, said he wouldn't go chasing them. Some of them are players who have repeatedly called off from international duty and don't seem that bothered about playing for Scotland from the outside. I could be wrong. The question is, as football fans, as Scotland fans, do we want these guys back?
1: I think it's uh, with these guys, I I think they have to really illustrate that that they want it because there's going to be lots of young, hungry players Um, Lots of people making cases for themselves. I mean, just even off the top of my head, someone like Turnbull, he's got to be knocking at the door at the moment. And if you look at people who are ahead of him in the squad and you think, well, they've called off for quite a few games in the past with knocks and uh, the desire not necessarily there. Um, I think one one of the slight frustrations for Clark possibly might be that he's not got any friendlies before his first matches. So it's two competitive games that he's taken over um, obviously he'll have known for a while that he was in line for this job and in the small pockets of time where he wasn't obsessively managing things at Kilmarnock he would have had some thoughts in his mind but he's not got that opportunity of uh, testing some uncapped or uh, guys who've not had many caps in a friendly situation he's going to have to go in with a team that he thinks is going to beat Cyprus and a team that he thinks is going to at least challenge Belgium Um but I think, yeah, I think some of the guys, some of the older guys who have been in and out of the setup will need to be wary of guys like Turnbull. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I mean, you look at, I mean, Barry Bannon's never really done anything for Scotland. So if a guy like Turnbull, I'm not saying you should throw him straight in. But if you're talking about players and the desire to play for Scotland, Turnbull's been outstanding in Scotland this season. I think he was the writer's young player of the year, am I right in saying? Yeah. Uh and I imagine he'd jump at the chance to play for Scotland. So, I, yeah, I think you're right. Why why bring back Barry Bannon, who hasn't shown much desire to play for Scotland and hasn't performed when he does, when you've got Turnbull out there?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's probably enough about international football. We're going to move on now. Um, we've had more developments at Dundee today. Uh, they've apparently approached John Robertson for the job, but they've been knocked back by Inverness. It seems like a bit of a shambles down at Dens Park at the moment.
1: So yeah, I don't think you could describe any team who has sacked two managers in the space of a season as being in a good way, as being on top of their game. Um, We've talked at length in a couple of these podcasts about where things have been going wrong at Dens Park. Um, McIntyre didn't inherit a good situation at all from Neil McCann and the results didn't go the way that they wanted. There were moments where you just thought this is just sums up Dundee's situation, like Daron O'Dee on the final day of the season. Here's a guy that has had his distinguished career and has announced his retirement and he goes twenty minutes into his first into his final ever professional game and gets sent off a straight red card. And that just to me summed up Dundee's season. So I think whether it's John Robertson, James McPeak or whoever it is that gets that job, um, there there's going to be a big challenge.
0: But surely there's an issue for Dundee for like the long term uh, future of the club because the American owners, it's fair to say, have got at least the last two managerial appointments horribly wrong. Yep. We've seen that. They've approached for John Robertson, they've been knocked back. There's no guarantee that they'll get this one right and you could understand why fans would be frustrated with that. But if you look at the financial situation they're in, they made a 425,000 loss in their latest accounts, despite the fact they sold Henry to Celtic for 530,000. The year before, they made a 354,000 loss, despite the fact they sold Greg Stewart and Kane Hemmings for about 800,000. The only reason that, they're not, that they haven't fallen into uh, financial difficulty is because the American owners have covered those losses. So the question is... Are the Americans the right people to be in charge to take that club forward? And B, if they're not, how can they possibly get rid of them when they are in such a bad financial situation?
1: I think that's a very worrying question, because if they decide suddenly this is not working out the way we want, that could leave Dundee in a major, major, major problem. Because you you can't just assume you're going to come straight back up into the Premiership.
0: No, we've seen that with a lot of teams. We've seen it with Dundee United, we saw it with uh, Yeah, you know, it's a difficult league to go out oh, as we said on the podcast before.
1: Yeah. And we're talking about teams there that you assume would always be part of the Premiership. But name alone and history alone uh, is no guarantee. You, no one has, has a divine right to be in that league. Um, so Dundee need to have... They've lost, was it 13, 14 players? Yeah, yeah. They've had um, another
0: huge turnover of players. Yeah,
1: so those are guys that need to be replaced. You can't just assume we're going to bring guys through the ranks... Um, make a couple of very cut price signings and because we're Dundee we'll be going straight back up they need to they need to get a manager in first of all with a clear idea of the sort of players th- that he wants in then they need to go about finding those players at a reasonable price which is easier said than done Um so th- there's a lot of, there's a lot that needs to happen at Denz Park this summer and there's no guarantee that they're going straight back up.
0: Yeah, and if they don't go straight back up, that's obviously going to have a knock-on financial effect. And you have to think that if a bunch of American businessmen have bought Dundee, it's probably not out of a long-held, deep-seated love for Dundee. They probably want to make money. So the question then for Dundee fans becomes, if they don't go straight back up, if they continue to make losses, which uh, the owners have to cover, then how long will the owners be willing to do that?
1: Well, that could... uh... That's a good question. Uh, Just ignore this. Um, Yeah, I I think that's a good question. Um, You have to wonder uh, what benefit they're seeing at the moment. Um, I, I don't think it can be the most enjoyable experience given what's happened at Dundee this season and you wonder how long they'll tolerate what's happening there.
0: Yeah, and especially they've been trying to get this new stadium built. It's not happening. There's a fans group that they're not quite at war with, but they want to take over more shares so they can write off losses. I think it's a worrying situation for Dundee. Yeah. So we've had a few transfer rumours today. Um, One, we've had Gary McKay-Steven come out and say that he might not actually leave Aberdeen, even though his contract's expiring at the end of the season. He's been linked with New York City FC but he says he's been focused more on recovering from injury and he might not be leaving Pataudry. Just how important would it be if they could hold on to Gary Mackay-Steven?
1: I think Gary mackay Stevens a really important player. I think there's few players in Scotland who are as technically capable as Gary Mackay-Steven. Um, when he's on his game, he makes a big difference for Aberdeen. And I think I could completely understand the lure of wanting to, to play in a completely different scenario that New York would offer him. But if Aberdeen can keep hold of him, I think he'll be, uh, I think that would be a bit of good news after what's been a relatively disappointing season, I would say, for Aberdeen.
0: Yeah, so would you say that uh, there are differences in lifestyle between Aberdeen and New York? Is that a bold claim that you're going to be putting out there?
1: Look, uh, you described me at the top of the show as a guy with a lot of hot takes. I'm not necessarily willing to put my, my neck on the line and say that New York isn't some ways more glamorous yes. than Aberdeen. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be one of those sort uh, of Chris Sutton, uh, no, no. Adrian Durham sort of shock jocks. Here, this is not. Uh, that's not my forte. But there is uh, definitely some appeal having been mm. to New York and also having been to Aberdeen. So you wouldn't
0: say that New York is the city that never sleeps and Aberdeen is the city of
1: timid sheeps. <clears throat> uh, no, let's just clarify that it was. Gabby Mackay, who put that on the record. I'm only joking,
0: Aberdeen. I like Aberdeen. It's a nice city. I mean, I haven't been to New York, granted, but, you know, all the granite buildings, I mean, it's cold and it's wet, but I like Aberdeen. It's a nice city.
1: This is what happens when our editor's off for a day and does not get involved in the podcast. Yes. There's also, uh, I don't know if we've got enough time for me to have uh, half, hour, half an hour of uh, me talking uncensored about Malky Mackay. Is that something that I'm, I've got a slot? Oh, no, we had have to do it tomorrow. No
0: I've, ju- no, I've just got word from Johnny. He must have a psychic connection. He says, do not bring up Malky Mackay um, with several exclamation marks. Right, okay. Another transfer story today, Mark McNulty saying that he wants to go back to Hibs for next season. Do you think that's a deal that they could get over the line and do you think that would be another important move for Hibs?
1: If it's possible, then it'd be a great move for Hibs. I think McNulty's really impressed and you can sense from not just the way fans talk about him, but the way McNulty talks about the club, uh, I I think McNulty would be really keen if it was possible for him to have at least another few months at Hibs. Uh, So if Hibs can get that done, I think that'd be a good deal.
0: And talking to Hibbs, we've had a lot of discussion in recent weeks about the Rangers' resurgence, that they're getting closer to Celtic, but Steven Gerrard's done a good job, and all those things are true. But Hibs fans, they'll be writing in in their droves, if we don't point out today, is the third anniversary of Hibs beating Rangers in the Scottish Cup final. You're old fun facts, you are the <laughs> doyen of the banter years. Adam, was that the high point of the banter years?
1: No, uh, yeah, it was. It's right up there. It's is, it is, as far as the banter years go. It's right up there. I don't think anything has or ever will surpass the Mosney meltdown at Firth Park. That is uh, that should be like in the Guggenheim or something. There's just a video playing on a loop of that game. However, the the Scotch Cup final from three years ago was absolutely unforgettable. So many iconic images. Um, none more so than the four armed Hibs fan, which is. Just the most stunning picture of uh, a Hibs fan who looks like he's got four arms, while a really really fat guy with his shirt off lies, uh, like passed out in the foreground. It's just a a work of art. Um, i I think, uh, I think that day was a real, a really kind of iconic moment in Scottish football for Hibs fans. Um, breaking that duck with the Scottish Cup, that long long run, you could see from the pitch invasion and from the the scenes in the days that came after that that was to me that's a kind of reaffirmation of, of what scotch football can do um i think there was to a smaller degree a uh, you could sort of sense that in Kilmarnock over the the last couple of days um i, I, I think that's i think those scenes um with particularly, I think Alex Ferguson talked about the rendition of "Sunshine on Leith" that day being yeah. one of the best things he's ever heard at a football ground. So even regardless of uh, the whole sort of banter years aspect that the the Rangers angle on, I think uh, I, th- I think from a Hib's perspective, it's just it's what it's what you go to the the dreary nil nils in the rain for. It's you know you've earned that day the 21st of May. Um, and of course, there is one high-profile footballer in Scotland who has that date tattooed on his hand or his wrist. you know who it is? Uh, no, I don't who is that. Kyle Lafferty, who plays for Rangers.
0: Why does he have that tattooed on his wrist? I he, take it one of his kids was born there he, or something? He,
1: he claims that it was the day of his wedding. Who knows? Doubt there's anything that could verify that. But it's, it's just a bit of a coincidence. Who knows?
0: I did not know that was the day of Kyle Lafferty's wedding. What I do know about Kyle Lafferty is that he was once described by Palermo President Maurizio Zamparini as an out-of-control womanizer. Well, <laughs> I'm sure that has stopped now because he's a married man and I would not like to cast any aspersions on him. But, but he I, remains out of control. Yes, he's definitely out of control. I would just like to, just when we finish up, because I don't want to get messages from his fans, I don't want to argue with you about the banter years either. Now, the Mosney thing was great, but look, Hibs, last-minute goal. Big, fat goalie. <laughs> and go for Hibs. Rangers just one promotion. They beaten Hibbs to promotion. They they beaten Celtic in the semi final. This was gonna seal Rangers' return to the big time. Set them up for fifty five the next year. Surely that's up. That's a bigger banter moment than even Bill Mosny.
1: I I can I get your point. It's right up there. Um, it combines so much of what the banter years existed on. Things like the hubris you know you're talking about the going for 55 and all that side of it uh, I just think that the complete heed's gone of Mosny in those sort of uh, minutes after the game the fact he had to literally be dragged off the pitch the fact that I think he was still trying to fight people when they were trying to put him onto the team coach all of that, there's brilliant photos of him trying to swing a punch, a kick um, you've got Cammy Bell getting lobbed in that game and falling backwards into the net You've got someone hitting Lee McCulloch with a corner flag. It just combined all the elements. But yeah, the, the the Hibs game, the cup final, was absolutely incredible as well.
0: Nah, okay. You've you've convinced me. And I'd like to point out that most of these banter years things can also be found on Rangers' forums. I think most of them, in hindsight, not at the time, did find them quite amusing. Yeah. So that's all for us here at Football Scotland for today. We'll be back tomorrow before 4pm just in time to make your daily work commute that little bit more bearable. You can get more from us at the Football Scotland website or our social media channels on Facebook and on Twitter at football underscore scott. To ask a question or make a comment to you individually you can get me on at Gary Mackay. for any other Dean fans who would like to write any complaint and you can get Adam on at Old From Facts. Until tomorrow, thanks for listening.